1: Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing middle school and high school esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice as all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is James O'Hagan. James is Director of Digital and Virtual Learning for the Racine Unified School District in Wisconsin. He's also the founder of the Academy of Esports a board member of the Wisconsin High School Esports Association, an advisory board member for National Association of Esports Coaches and Directors, which is NACAD. Thanks for joining us. Hey,
2: Justin, thank you for having me here. I, I really appreciate
1: My pleasure. So, you know, to start off, with, you know, tell us a little about your past esports and gaming experience. You know, what was the first game you played and how would you get involved in the esports and gaming world?
2: I'm a terrible gamer. I'm just going to come right on and say it. I, I do enjoy gaming and gaming culture. Uh, my friends were my Twitch channels before, and it, before Twitch became a thing. I was the one who would always be at the arcade watching my friends play. Occasionally i jump into games, uh, some of the games that I regularly played. My favorite all time was Punch Out. Uh, the other one was Star Wars. Uh, the vector, the vector graphics Star Wars game. Uh, those were my two major ones. But as far as, you know, having a, a actual console in my house, my parents weren't into that. We never had an NES or a Sega Genesis in our house. Um, never an Atari 2600. And, uh, it really, it's interesting that I became still so drawn to gaming and gaming culture. I grew up in the San Francisco area. So from my bedroom, I could literally see, uh, electronic arts headquarters, that the tower that they were in at the time. Um, So that, I guess, being and growing up in gaming and gaming culture kind of of was the way that I was introduced to it. Um, But in schools, I've always included games as part of what I did in my classroom. So as an elementary school teacher, uh, I was always drawn to using technology in the classroom, exploring new ways to use it. One of the ways that we did use it in my classroom was we did set up a... uh, Uh, a a sim city like experience uh i i did do a a an economy in the classroom where we had uh offline a digital or excuse me a, a marketplace we had people had jobs all my students had jobs around the classroom but then we translated that into using sim city 2000 as a way to show kind of how a city ran where taxes went where um uh, where where decisions made in cities and city councils could impact the city as a whole or impact people as a whole. so my my use of games isn't just strictly the you know madden competition side it's from the educational perspective of things and my pathway into esports if you will was as a director of technolo- instructional technology for the rockford public schools back in 2014. Uh, there was a story that ran on 60 Minutes one night about the scholarship opportunities that were being offered at Robert Morris University, which is in Chicago, which is only about an hour east of Rockford, Illinois. And one of our assistant uh, superintendents, just we happened to be passing each other in the hallway, and he passed along the story to me and said, hey, I saw that there's scholarships. Is there anything we can do with that? And again, as somebody who has always been kind of on the fringes of gaming and gaming culture, even though I'm a terrible gamer, like I said, you don't ever want me for any of your your game situations. Um, I jumped right at that opportunity to say, yes, let's see what we can do with this. And very quickly working with actually our athletic director, who was very interested in using eSports as a way to increase student participation in extracurricular activities We very quickly developed a esports team that launched in early 2015 at uh, Guilford High School and in the game of of League of Legends and competed in the, um, oh gosh, what was it called? The High School Star League. And uh, it, it was a very basic, I guess you could say, first attempt because it was really interested in focusing on getting the games and the computers into the hands of the children. And that was it and that's where we focused and, and, and stopped. And when I moved to the Rockford public schools, the next year, next school year to be uh, closer to family, my children up here in Wisconsin, um, I decided to really step back and take a look at what we could really do beyond the games and just playing games because playing games is fine, but you want to make sure that that we're, we're really trying to touch on some unique things that eSports allows us to do. And so by developing the program in the Racine Unified School District, we've really, I think, started to hit on some ways that, again, address the, uh, the, the, the inequities that we're seeing in access for students. Uh, specifically, we want to diversify opportunities for student participation. We want to redefine what athletic culture looks like in our schools. We want to promote good mental and physical health, which is something that a lot of people don't think about when they think about video games. We want to increase those career and collegiate scholarship pathways for kids so that when they look at whether they want to go into colleges or whether they want to take a career path out out of high school, that they realize that the gaming world has this amazing ecoverse around it. And we really want to honor the importance of play, which has gone missing in a lot of our kids' lives, uh, especially as we've become so hyper focused on standards and core subject matters. So we're really looking at ways that we can grow this base through the intrinsic motivation and the power of gaming and gaming culture.
1: I think that's really interesting that you kind of brought up that, you know, the administrator of their school noticed that there were scholarships and like, mm-hmm. how do we position our students for that? That it wasn't necessarily, oh, this is a cool buzzword that people are talking about. It's more like, how is this an academic pathway to continue?
2: And, and when you when you say that there's scholarships involved, what this now becomes is an issue of access and equity to those scholarships. I know that not these these scholarships are not going to be your I think a lot of people think esports scholarships and they think along the lines of uh, a division one football player getting a full ride. And 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 that it, this, these are not these type of scholarships. A lot of small universities are using esports to attract males to their schools because right now there is a huge disproportion of females. More females are attending higher education schools than males are. And so these schools see an opportunity to attract more males because we do have a lot more males in the games. But it, it, it's also now, if, if a school is not engaging in esports culture or specific game titles, then there becomes issues of equity of access. A lot of the game titles that you see are predominantly played by, uh, again, by males, but also by uh, white males specifically or Asian males specifically. And we're not seeing a lot of the educational opportunities driven towards people of color uh, because of the game titles that people think need to be played. So it's important that as we start to develop these scholarship opportunities and, and finding scholarship opportunities at the collegiate level, it would it would behoove colleges to look at the titles that they're playing and find out and figure out is this really something that is attracting the students that we want to have on our campus is this attracting a diverse group of students that we want to have on our campus or are we just going for the low-hanging fruit um so the the scholarship opportunities while wide and varied in size and scope uh, again the, the the equity issue becomes now because these scholarships are available to colleges that Schools, high schools in particular, should be looking at esports as an as an issue of equity and making sure that they're making making sure that they are participating in it, because if they're not, chances are their their student population will now be disenfranchised from accessing those scholarship opportunities at a higher level.
1: Interesting. I think that's a really great point. And, you know, kind of talking about the different games. So, you know, working with the Racine Unified School Districts, how do you determine what games the schools compete in? Are there certain ones that are, you know, I would say, like you said, more apt for certain demographics or just how does that all work?
2: The The fighting game community for us has been a place where we've seen a lot of our, our more of our racial diversity, if you will. Um, the fighting game community in Racine is, is definitely skews more towards African-American population. Um, but Super Smash Brothers, which is the fighting game that we play, is not the one that we necessarily uh, see that. But again, the fighting game community is definitely where you start to see a lot more uh, diversity in race. The uh, other games that we play, Rocket Leagues, uh, Overwatch, and Smite are games where we have seen a lot more uh, gender diversity. In participation, there especially Overwatch. Overwatch, I think, has become a place where a lot we see a lot of females, uh, female gamers, and again, children of color who are playing that game as well. Uh, Rocket League, as well, has, has become very popular in Hispanic population because of the soccer uh, aspects. But but I think that we're still missing on some opportunities around uh, games like NBA 2K, which again skew more towards African American demographics. Not to say that there aren't other kids who play it, but like I said, we want to make sure that we're trying to find something for everybody. And that's the beautiful thing about esports is I think people are so, so concerned about what games are you playing and what computers are you buying. And when I tell people, and when I consult with people about what they should be doing, my first question is, well, what is your student population playing? Don't worry about what anybody else is playing. Don't worry about having to participate in a in a specific league or on a specific platform. Build an esports program that is specific to what you want. Uh, especially for example, right now we're starting to see a lot of growth in the middle school population, and people say, "Well, where are we supposed to compete?" And, and I always say, "You, you can just compete in house if you're able to meet your educational and competitive needs at the middle school level, just between." say teams in your own school that you set up well then that then then if you want to compete on a platform that's cool and all but but focus first on the educational goals of what you're trying to do i think uh, again people are getting too caught up in in the online competition around and outside and not focusing enough on the educational aspects of what they really can be doing with this it's it's no longer cutting edge to have an esports team at your school what is cutting edge is what you do with it
1: Interesting. So what kind of advice would you have for, you know, high school or academic institutions starting a program?
2: Well, again, the, the, the biggest thing that I see is that people think that they're going to get this started in a few weeks. Uh, they say, hey, we're going to have an esports team and now let's get it started. Um, there is uh, definite conversations that need to have not just not just internally in the school between the adults, but also, again, with the children of the school to find out what it is they're interested in, what it is they're playing. There's tendency, I think, sometimes for some schools to say, well, we already have a gaming club. Let's make that our esports team. And we really shouldn't do that. The reason being is that a gaming club is, is usually very um, informal. Games may change. G- games come and go. That is not what esports is. Esports is competitive and it's organized and it's usually competitive and organized organized around a specific thing, uh, specific game titles. So let's not take kids who maybe just want an informal, fun time to hang out with their friends because they might have miserable home lives. They might not have access to certain game titles at home. Uh, they may not have uh, a good support system, if you will. Let's not take that away from kids. Let's continue to have those game clubs, but then uh, start to dip your toes, if you will, more into the esports world. Now, again, some schools are like, yes, we're going to do esports and they have a great following right out the gate. But I've seen a lot of programs struggle because, again, some kids want to have, again, a a more informal experience, if you will. So let's make sure that we are honoring both of those spaces. And here's the other thing. If your school, if you find out through your uh, discovery work with your students that they just would rather have a informal gaming club, if you will. That's not to say you still can't promote the diversity of of opportunities for students to participate and redefine athletic culture and promote good mental and physical health. Um, Those are all things that can still happen in those spaces. So let's make sure that we're not saying esports is the solution to all of these things. I think that's the other problem, too, is that we're seeing is that people think that once they have an esports team, uh, they can now... Just say we have an esports team and we have all these great things. That's not the case at all. Just getting the team started is your first step. How you grow it, how you uh, support it, how you, um, again, meet the changing times and have discussions with your students. That's when the hard work really starts. And as I tell people all the time, you become responsible forever for what you have tamed. As you start to go down these pathways to engage with your students in the space, it's so powerful. It is so intrinsically motivating, not just for boys but also for girls, that the invitation needs to be considerate for for all students. So, not just putting up the flyer in the hallway and saying, "Okay, we have an esports team now or we have a gaming club now," but seeking out those students who maybe feel disenfranchised or not connected from their school working with social workers who know where the, those students are, who are maybe the most uh, left out of the current uh, school school culture, working with counselors who know the students who are struggling academically, who need a positive adult interaction. Those are the, those are some of the, I think the missing components to esports in a lot of schools. And, it, and I think because it feels so foreign to some people, um, but I'll tell you some of the best, advocates that i have for students in our esports programs uh, we call them general managers there are teachers who are involved in our program we don't call them coaches because that puts a whole different pressure on them and i'll explain why in a second uh, our general managers are are not all gaming experts and this is what's really interesting for some people is that the dynamic is flipped typically in schools almost 100 percent of the time the student is the one who is who is subservient to the teacher. The teacher is the leader. The teacher tells them what to do. And that goes for sports as well. Football coaches, basketball coaches, it, it doesn't matter. If they're a coach, they're usually the, the content expert. In this space, in this case, we are not necessarily always the content experts. We have to let the students help us to become the masters of this space. The best example that I can give for the uh, relationship that I see a lot of times between a teacher and a student in esports is the Ted Lasso effect. If you will, Ted Lasso, if you've never watched that show, he is the, he is the person who, who is a football coach in the United States. He goes to England, becomes a soccer coach. He's never coached soccer a day in his life, but he is an ultimate motivator. He's an ultimate person to get his team to work together, to, to figure out what makes them tick. He's, he's ultimately the one who, um, is willing to learn as he goes. He's willing to ask questions as he goes. He's willing to look, you know, sometimes foolish, asking what what some may think are silly questions. But he ultimately has the best interest of his team at heart, and that's what we're seeing what happens a lot of time with esports. So, again, the dynamic is completely flipped upside down.
1: I think those are some, you know, amazing points and something that is definitely probably lost, you know, a lot in translation. So about on kind of the academic side, do you see that as something that needs to be built with these programs or is something that needs to continue to grow?
2: I think a lot of people sometimes think that they need to change their whole, you know, we talk about, excuse me, the academic opportunities here. I think there's some people who think, especially at the collegiate level, more so that oh, we have to have an esports major or we have to have a, um, a, a some kind of a focus certificate or something like that. Teachers in high schools may say, "Okay, what do we need to have an esports class now?" And that's really not so much the case that I'm finding. Um, let's take, for example, again the intrinsically powerful motivating ideas around games and gaming culture. Um, these are things that can drive student thought and innovation if it's merely introduced into the conversation. So, for example, in an English class, let's say, um, talking about the hero quest, if you will. The hero quest is where think of the movie Star Wars. Uh, a lot of people know the movie Star Wars, right? It's a hero quest in that Luke Skywalker is a boy who's living on a on a water farm in, on Tatooine. Uh, has this tragic thing happen in his life, finds a mentor along the way, goes through and and becomes this great Jedi warrior and finds out along the way, too, that his dad is Darth Vader. Sorry if, if I'm giving away too much uh, Star Wars for people here right now. If you've not watched the movies, I'm sorry that I gave you away the big spoiler. 30 years too late. But um, let's, let's think, too, that that idea to some students, even in this day and age. I, it's amazing to me to find out how many kids who have not seen Star Wars. But they, the to them, the Hero Quest is a very foreign thing, but now you can say, let's take some of your favorite video games and let's connect your video games to a Hero Quest. Say, for example, one of my favorite video games that a lot of kids know is Undertale, which again, for a lot of ways, follows the Hero Quest along the way. There's twists, there's turns, but the kids are actually Participating in it—that's a—that's a huge connection. I think that again, sometimes is lost with kids. The other, a great one, uh, is in engineering. For example, I, I'm working with uh, my alma mater, which is Purdue University, around helping them to figure out how do we bring in gaming and gaming culture and esports onto campus. And they said, "Well, do we need to have a certificate?" I said, "You have this amazing mechanical engineering program, and one of your strategic goals at Purdue is to." to develop a huge patent library. Imagine, if you will, if you said to these mechanical engineering students, I want you to build a better keyboard or I want you to build a better mouse. You know, I, one of my friends says, you know, he always wants to build a better mouse trap, but I want to build a better mouse. In this case, let's actually build the better mouse. Think of the, the patents that could be developed by, at the university level by just thinking of the mechanical problems that we have currently with computers that in the guise of gaming and gaming culture now become intrinsically motivating for kids to these students, these college students to go, Oh, wait a second. I now have something that I can connect to this problem to. I have a problem with, uh, the, the wireless rate of transmission or how the monitor works or how the keyboard interacts with my hands. Now you've got these problems that again, to kids are so, uh intrinsically motivating. And, and that's a powerful tool that, that we don't have to, again, redefine the entire mechanical engineering program. We're now just bringing in aspects of it that a lot of people are not willing to necessarily discuss because gaming culture has such a negative connotation to a lot of people. It has been in the last 30 years vilified. Uh It's been claimed that the gaming world is is a place where there is a lot of toxicity. And it's true, there is toxicity in the gaming world. But even the Anti-Defamation League did a pretty amazing and detailed report about the current state of gaming culture and and the online world around games. And while, yes, there are moments, a lot of moments of people who are feeling um, attacked or ostracized or harassed in online spaces, These same people though are also finding support and care in a community that they develop in an online space. I highly recommend to your listeners to look up the anti-defamation league report and read it through because I think too many times we see negative things around gaming and gaming culture and esports, but really the, the world, the online world around it is not nearly as bleak as I think, uh, media might have you to believe. So, um, yeah, it's it's the the educational aspects of things in this can be brought in in very broad ways, but also in very small ways without us needing to necessarily overturn the old apple cart and say how do we really do this all over again?
1: Absolutely, I think that's you know a really unique point you bring up there. So, kind of you know, I know I mentioned that you're involved in the Wisconsin High School Esports Association. Mm-hmm. So, what is that? You know, why was it formed? Tell us a little about the association.
2: The association is is then there's I believe 16 similar associations across the United States right now that we have. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization made up of educators, educationally focused around games and esports and competition, uh, with the hope of of connecting students together into across the state of Wisconsin into a competitive opportunity for us to, like I said, not just Play games, but also to um, develop a, a, the educational benefits of gaming and gaming culture for us to explore again the the positive mental and physical benefits when properly implemented into an esports program. For example, the two easiest ways that you can push against a mental health crisis right now, and again, we've got a lot of students, and I see it every day in the work that I do. Uh, with, with my students and my virtual program specifically is the two ways that we can push against a mental health crisis. One is through positive adult interaction, which we are able to, and during the pandemic especially, which became highly necessary, we were able to do as we took our, our games and, and had students working from home, uh, providing those positive adult interactions, but also giving an opportunity to play those two things alone are, are two of the easiest and biggest things that we can do to push against a mental health crisis uh, especially that we're seeing here in the United States And it wasn't just the Wisconsin Association that that provided the opportunity for for our school our students to participate in competition across the United uh, across Wisconsin but it was also partners like we we have our local libraries which, again when when the libraries got closed down, they did have equipment and computers that we were able to check out to kids in our own communities uh, because of the the work that we were doing and, and and the connections we had made. We were able to check out this equipment to our students who maybe did not have a gaming computer at home but still needed the opportunity or the want to to participate in in eSports so we were finding these interesting avenues um. The Wisconsin Association is now also a part of the Milwaukee Esports Alliance, which is a private-public association partnership, if you will, that's made up of governmental entities, our our nonprofit organizations, and our for-profit organizations, and those who want to support the growth of esports and gaming culture in the state of Wisconsin. Um, Both of those things together have made, I think, huge beneficial opportunities to again promote the educational aspects of gaming but also to look at this as an economic driver but, and to look at this as a way to stop a brain drain of people looking to leave wisconsin and also attracting potentially new uh businesses to the state because again as, as the wisconsin association grows and the popularity of gaming and gaming culture grows at the at the grassroots level i think businesses will start to take notice and realize that the midwest we we have some of the lowest cost of living. We have ample access to fresh water, and we have uh, a great people here who are willing to again say, "Let's do some really innovative and interesting things." So I think it all just kind of plays together. I know I kind of went off in a bigger tangent, but the Wisconsin Association is is again we're, we're focused on the educational aspects of competition and making sure that we are we are meeting our students where they are not just again with competition aspects, but also with supporting them at gro- their growth as, as students.
1: So how many schools are participating or involved? Oh, I want to say, Oh boy,
2: now you're, now you're really pulling on me here. I, I want to say we had over 80 high schools in, in Wisconsin who are participating in some way with the state association. I, I want to say that number is 80, but Mike Dolly, who's our, 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 our uh, president of the board uh, he may he may smack me around a little bit. I, we might have cracked into the hundreds uh, already. Um, I, I I should have looked at that number, but I know we were well above eighty.
1: Okay, so clearly it's really kind of you know making waves in the state.
2: Who? Sorry again.
1: It's really making waves in the state. Everyone's kind of getting behind it.
2: It, it is, and and here's the nice thing too: we have legislative support. Uh, we've we've had. Uh, that I think that's a, lo- a thing a lot of our our sister nonprofit associations might have missed on early on is number one, they're very focused on the competition side. And number two, they just see it as, again, a, as a competition. I see I saw our need to be, again, not just not just pr- connecting our students together through competition, but also connecting the state to what it is that we're doing and the benefits of this as a whole. So it is making waves. And I'll tell you, the other thing that's making waves, too, is that we do this for little to no cost. Again, we're a nonprofit organization Uh, for schools to participate for a year. Each school that the asking price is one hundred dollars and the hundred dollars covers basically our cost to run our our state championships, which we like to do on site. Uh, We're going to be working with Madison College here in Madison, Wisconsin. It's not the University of Wisconsin, Madison. It's a it's a smaller technical college. But they have opened their doors to us again to come on site. And that's a, that's a big thing for our students, too, is that we do want to make sure that we're connecting them through the association into higher education. So part of the, the uh, state championship as well, we'll have colleges coming to talk to students about the collegiate opportunities that they have and not colleges that are far flung all over the United States. We've, we've found that a lot of our students want to stay close to home. And so we've really focused this year on trying to keep the colleges that are coming to us uh, to talk to our students, um, Wisconsin, or at least Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, trying to stay pretty much in the the Great Lakes region, if you will.
1: Awesome. I think that's, you know, really unique. And it sounds like you guys have really kind of taken, you know, the approach, I think, if working with the government legislation and figuring out how to kind of be this bridge to the collegiate world is you know, kind of essential, and it'll be interesting to see if you know other states and other associations kind of follow this model.
2: Well, it, and I think it's really important to educate not just our legislators but also other educators around the state. Um, we do have the Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which is our state high school association. They have not taken a position as far as esports goes yet, but um, we've seen in other states where athletic associations maybe make decisions based in a vacuum they don't necessarily have conversations or even realize that there's already competition esports competition happening at the state level so we we are like i said we're very proactive about connecting with our department of education uh excuse me we call it the department of public instruction here in wisconsin uh, connecting with our legislators because again we want to make sure that that we are known, and we're not stepping on toes. We're not coming in and telling the WIAA that they have to do things this way. But um, we're we're very proactive about re- outreach, and I think that that becomes an important part too. And the other part that's really important is, and I think a lot of us nonprofit associations are missing on, and even for profit companies that have esports platforms, is they haven't really done a good job of engaging parents. Um, gaming again has a very negative connotation in a lot of families. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a place of stress for a lot of families. Right, and I know, the
1: whole screen time thing. We don't want to stare at the screen all day.
2: Yeah. The, the screen time conversation is a huge uh, part of it. And, and I think um, what we're doing with esports at the, at least in my school district, I can't speak of other programs, but is, is focusing in on, Hey, we have two hours of comp- of practice time a day. Let's use those two hours of time. Here's our, our matches. Let's make sure we're using that time appropriately. Um, let's make sure that as, as kids are engaging with their parents, that they are um, having conversations around uh, inviting them to watch them play or asking parents, hey, just sit with your child and just watch how they play. Uh, a lot of times we have parents who show up at our state championships and it's the first time they, they didn't even know their kid was in any, in e-sports. So it it becomes a very interesting thing, especially when we can get them uh, talking with other educators and seeing the, the breadth of kids who are, are doing this. Um, it becomes a very powerful thing to, like I said, have parents as part of this, because once I think. They start to see that this actually has some connection to some positivity, not just stress in the home. Now it becomes something that that parents want to get behind. And I've had plenty of parents who reach out to me who who have said, you know, I didn't understand what the eSports Sports thing was. I didn't really uh, get what my kid was doing, even though they probably were playing in arcade games. You know, because we're I'm a I'm a 46 year old, and uh, the, you know, there's a lot of parents who are my age. And we can at least have a a casual conversation about what we used to play when we were kids. But uh, I think that it's important that that we are engaging our parents and making sure that they realize that this isn't just giving kids permission to play games at all hours and stay up, you know, grind for 12. We're actually pushing against the idea of grinding and uh, playing games for for in an an inordinate amount of time we want to make sure that this is all focused and properly done and that's again talking about the mental and physical health components of our programs
1: definitely i know there's definitely some organizations out there that are trying to bridge the gap between parents and you know students and everything that's going on in the space so happy to see how that kind of continues
2: yeah yeah
1: um, so tell us a little about the Academy of Esports and the podcast that you host. You know, Why did you start and what do you like most about hosting a podcast?
2: Um, well, the Academy of Esports started almost, gosh, we're almost coming up on four years. Now, I have taken a bit of a, a I won't say I've taken a break, but this school year, Um, My virtual program has expanded from about 160 students to 500. So you can imagine that I've now taken on some significant additional responsibilities as part of the virtual program that I oversee primarily as my day job. But the Academy of Esports was my way to start to make sense of the esports world, the academic esports world, if you will. Uh, I've been involved in instructional technology pretty much since day one as an educator, uh, back from when I was a student teacher at Purdue University, lugging my uh, Compaq 486 computer all over campus, uh, which was not an easy thing to do, but I was a strong rugby player at the time. Uh, <laughs> but the, the Academy of Esports, again, is, is focused around promoting the ideals that I talk about when I talk about diversification of, of, of opportunities for students and redefinition of athletic culture. Uh, promotion of good mental and physical health, uh, increasing career and collegiate scholarship pathways and honoring the importance of play. And it's funny to see how it's morphed over the years where initially the conversations were me just kind of talking about what I was dealing with or or thinking about with eSports and then having some conversations with some people. And really for a while, I was very focused on talking to other coaches and talking to other teachers. But really now as I'm starting to see as we're opening up, the ecoverse, if you will, you know, Justin, you were a guest on here as well. I never thought that I would have a conversation or have to have a conversation with a lawyer on the podcast, but it's, it's again, as we're starting to see just how broad this ecoverse really is in the gaming world and Nico Basambes, who I think I'm not, I thought you, maybe you had interviewed him, but he has put together a, beautiful uh, graphic that shows just how broad this ecoverse is and that just opens up for a whole bunch of new and different conversations. And again it's it's not just eSports that we're talking about on the podcast, but we're really talking about education. we're talking about health and wellness. we're talking about gaming culture. So there's a lot more to it than just talking about eSports. I, I honestly, I know of the professional scene. I know of certain gamers and game, you know, people who play games, but those are not really the, the focus of it. If you're an educator who's interested in gaming and gaming culture or esports, this is definitely a podcast for you, but it's also good for parents. It's also good for, for students who need to maybe have a conversation with a teacher at their school uh, about gaming and gaming culture. But I also, through the Academy of Esports, it's also my LLC, so I am a consultant as well uh I will I'm more than happy to talk to not only just schools uh but also businesses that are interested in going down the path of looking at how do we talk about gaming or esports and and connecting with students in that way um it's and it's interesting to see as I've had some of these conversations the the thought processes of people that I think once they start to realize just how potentially big Esports can be for students and student engagement. I think it almost they realize they need to take a pause a lot of times. They need to really make sure that when they do this and they go down the path, that they're really thinking through again, not just the games they're going to play and the computers they're going to buy, but also the the long term uh, impacts that this can make around strategic goals, especially as when schools are trying to measure something and whether they want to in- invest money into something there needs to be strategic goals around it. And a lot of times I think some people miss on wanting to look at those things.
1: Absolutely. I think it's really important to kind of be aware of what you're really trying to do and, you know, how you go about it. So it's good to see that you've kind of taken a different approach to see how you can kind of help with this, you know, the more instructional, non-professional side of it.
2: It's even, uh, even some of the, companies that the platform companies that are reaching out to schools, they have, you know, tremendous platforms. They're saying, Hey, we'll, we'll help you run tournaments or whatever. And I look at some of the companies and go, gosh, there's, there's so much more that can be done that again, with, with the, with the right amount of people and the right amount of effort and a, a refocus, it's not just a platform anymore to play games, but now it becomes again, this thing that could be so much better grander and and more impactful uh just with the just with a few tweaks
1: interesting um so currently how are you know high school players being steered towards collegiate or professional opportunities you know are they is it something that needs to be refined or you know totally redone i would
2: say when it comes to the collegiate opportunities um I, i i will well first i'll say this and i preface this statement Uh, It'll make sense in a second. I am not a fan of the NCAA. NCAA. Uh, I think the NCAA, while it has made some modifications to how it does things uh, with regards to student athletes um, in the recent years, especially with the name, image and likeness and the transfer portals that give students a lot more control over themselves. I think those are all steps in the right direction. I think those were a long time coming. Um, But what I will say is that the NCAA has very, I think, good rules when it comes to uh, when you can recruit a student, how do you talk to a student, when can you reach out to them, uh, who who makes the first contact and how do you make the first contact and how do you recruit the student. Right now, there are not those because it is because esports is not regulated at the collegiate level. There's there's organizations, but they're not regulating bodies, if you will. Um, I think that that has created some uh, consternation around how do you recruit kids? Um, For a lot of people who I've talked to, collegiate coaches, it's almost by chance sometimes that it feels like they find a student uh, who wants to come to their school. It's not the easiest thing to do. And, And what we're seeing, too, because of this lack of regulation, we're seeing some uh, new esports directors, if you will. And think about this a lot of colleges are paying a non educator or a non coach, basically somebody who maybe plays video games really well, to be a director of esports, but be a director of esports over several games. Um, you know, we would never ask a football coach to also coach in this day and age. Way back when you might have, but in this day and age, you're not going to ask a football coach to also coach track and baseball and everything else. And at the same time, while they're trying to coach football, that's what's happening at the collegiate level. And I think promises are being made. I don't think necessarily these some of these uh, just esports directors at the collegiate level are well prepared to deal with more than just playing the games. Um, my, one of my favorite people in the collegiate esports space, who now works for NACE, uh, AJ uh, Aj Dimmick Um, And then there's Dr. Chris Haskell. And then uh, those are two people who I look at who have really, I think, built solid programs. Boise State, especially, I think, uh, has built a program that is supportive of their students. They see their students as students first. Uh, They've developed space for kids beyond playing games. Uh, Again, when I think of Dr. Chris Haskell and Boise State, I see the production value that goes into it. I see it's a place that I would want my own children to attend college and be uh, part of esports programs. But that one is, as an example, is few and far between than some of the other ones I have seen. Uh, I've heard some horror stories of some kids who are made promises. They move across country um, and then it is not at all what they've expected to get. Um, they're kind of left with student debt. They're kind of left to their own devices. They're not well supported. And again, I, I don't necessarily put that as a blame on the person who recruited them. Because again, this is one person who who maybe believes that all they have to do is just coach esports. But really, again, you're still dealing with students. That's the difference between professionals and what they were happening at the collegiate level. Professional is going to be a completely different mindset. It's going to be a completely different way of doing things. But for college students, their first thing is they're there to get a college education. Hopefully they're not just there to play video games and their lives are going to be a part of that, all of that. So everything that happens outside of the gaming realm, if you will, is going to be a part of what they bring into uh, their competitions and their practices. So we have to have these people who are very well tuned into this is more than just again playing video games this is basically you're still working with a student who again hopefully is working towards earning a degree and and there's outcomes beyond again just playing the games
1: definitely i think it's you know be really interesting to see especially as some of the larger schools you know the The Big 12, the Pac-10, the SEC schools, the ones who have these 60,000 person campuses, how they kind of go at it? Will they kind of take the Boise State approach of creating like this full fledged institution or will they, you know, kind of go the route that some other, you know, colleges have gone? Uh,
2: I still think that we're again the 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 reason a colleges a lot of especially you see more small colleges and when you look at the ranking systems that there are right now and the ranking systems are you know they're uh, they're okay they're not as i would say as tuned as the you know nc2a basketball rankings or the football rankings but you can still have a small college a a um you know, it, it, an Illinois Wesleyan is a good example, be a top tier program for a number of years, take down big 10 schools right and left, which would never happen on a basketball court or happen on a football field. Uh, I still think we're still in that day and age because again, these are schools that are recruiting because they do have an issue with students coming onto campus. I think that given what has happened during the pandemic, um, there's going to be a more of an arms race, if you will, to attract kids, especially to small colleges going forward, because I think a lot of kids now realize that they don't necessarily have to go to college for all four years, where, again, this country has been very focused on on college prep as being the next logical step. But the pandemic has shown that a lot of students can still get their education online without ever having to set foot on a campus. And so now you're going to have these more of an acceleration for a brief period and then a, a potential of a collapse, even if you will, of, of collegiate esports. Um, the nice thing again, about what we're trying to do at the high school level is again, we're thinking beyond the games and we're, we're not so focused again on College recruitment, as we are, of showing kids that there are collegiate opportunities, but also real life opportunities, and they don't necessarily have to keep playing esports at the collegiate level to still gain the benefits of the of the experience that they get in high school.
1: Interesting, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely something that you know people need to learn. It just seems like you know as. More colleges and more, you know, high schools across the country kind of get involved in it. It'll just kind of grow from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're also part of the National Association of Esports Coaches and Directors, NACAD. So tell yeah. us about the association. What do they do? What are some of the requirements to join? And you know, what's some recent work?
2: Well, the the conference that uh, we we obviously did not have on site, but we're going to have an on site conference uh, coming up here at the beginning of March in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I think it is, it's a necessary uh, association, I think, in, as far as networking, because again, we're, it's still such a small, uh, group of people who are involved in this right now, but I think it's necessary to have these associations like this. Uh, there's other, I know other associations, but this one is, is not specific to what team you're on or, or, or what uh, school you're a part of. It is, it is your coach or you're involved in scholastic esports in some way. Let's make sure that we have a place for you to uh, get professional development, learn from others, learn best practices from others. I think that that's a, that's a really important thing that is going to um, help with sustainability going forward. But it also helps with, again, the, the, the difference being major and, and we're starting to see it start to crop up more and more is the publishers are wanting to do more dictation about how their game titles are used. And again, I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of, of uh, nonprofit organizations having unfettered access to game titles because we are using them in educational ways. I think schools are using games, legally purchased game titles as, um, as part of an educational environment. Um, but again, the, there's there's not a lot of I guess you could say legal and, and you're the lawyer uh, guidance around this just yet. But I, I think it's associations like NACAD which are going to I think have a, a very big impact on the conversation with publishers when it comes to uh, just looking at the scope and the size of people who we again we really we want to be partners. With Riot, we want to be partners with Activision. We want to be partners with Epic. We want to be partners with Nintendo, and so on and so forth. I think that right now they look at us and say, "Well, there is only a few of you," but again, it's going to be an association like NACE or like NACAD or uh, any of the other nonprofit associations that are going to, I think, start to make people realize these numbers are a lot bigger, and that this is a large segment of our stakeholders, and we need to invite them to the table as well, too.
1: Definitely. I I mean, I think the dynamic between the publishers and kind of third-party operators is always something that is kind of this touchy subject in esports going back to, you know, hosting a tournament in your basement or local rec center to hosting it at a big conference or an arena and kind of how these community guidelines are created and kind of all the different exemptions that they create. And like you said, I think it's going to be one of these things where – the people that are really interested in it are going to have to take it the distance and put the parties that are really in charge of it in a position to make a decision at the end of the day, you know, there's always economic factors that come into it and, you know, license fees and, you know, at the end of the day, they have shareholders and, you know, as much as nonprofits that's not their profit, you know, these companies, you know, are profit. So it's definitely an interesting dynamic to see, how you kind of balance these two kind of competing interests. And, you know, I think that's one of these ways that, as you mentioned, these associations are hopefully going to come to the forefront. In the same way is in under entertainment worlds, we have the... You know the Music Publisher Association and songwriters and different people that represent Screenwriters Guild and some of these other creatives that might be a little bit more disenfranchised from the decision makers, the Hollywood and the TV studios, the people that really have a or you know just a lot bigger position. You know, just based on bargaining and economic power. So, you know, these associations and guilds and you know unions, for better or worse, are kind of this equalizer that come in and you know tip the scales a little bit so there's definitely going to be see how that happens in the collegiate high school spaces well as in the professional world which i think you know you're starting to see it develop a little bit but it's still nowhere near what it is in the professional sports world so what you know, I, will I think say- it's definitely a lot going on
2: what I, what I will add to that, you know, because again, you brought up the shareholders and the, and, and again, shareholders are stakeholders and all this as well too. It's just a side that educators don't necessarily see because we work, you know, in public education, we don't deal with shareholders. We have different timelines, we have different ways of budgeting and doing things. But I, what I will say is this: for the longest time, uh, Apple, Google, those are two. Microsoft. These are three companies that have courted and worked with educators side-by-side, side, have, have developed you know divisions of education, if you will. Uh, Apple specifically, I think, has the longest history. Microsoft, not so much. Google, of course, didn't come around until much later than Apple. But Apple historically, again, one of the most profitable companies on the planet and has courted educators by helping them to develop, doing the professional development with them, helping to reduce cost on hardware for them, providing software to them free of charge, providing professional development free of charge. And what has happened? You've now had 30 plus years of educators working with and using Apple products in the classroom. Um, Teachers become the biggest advocates and fans of product that, supports them and now it's when, when kids have a positive interaction with a product and again i hate to sound like a capitalist in this sense but i'm going to try to talk to it in capitalist terms when kids have such positive interaction with it with a computer if you will in the class they're going to then become these consumers who want to have that as well too right um microsoft's figuring it out google of course google docs when google docs came out people were like what why would i want to share a document with somebody when I I can just email it to them, you know, but Google docs and the whole Google platform and suite now, especially during the pandemic has become so important to us. But again, it's because my, because Google went out and said, let's start bringing in educators and teachers and finding out what they need and how they can use our products and partnering with them. Again, the one, the one company I will say that's starting to do that. The one developer is Epic. And that's around their game Fortnite. Microsoft is also doing this with Minecraft education, but I think Microsoft is a little, is a little more broad. But Epic is a game company hiring uh, Steve Isaacs is a good friend of mine from New Jersey. And Steve has, has taken on saying, here's how you can use, again, a game like Fortnite as an educational tool. And here we're going to show you how to do it, and we're going to do it freely. You know, go back three or four years. Fortnite? Are you kidding me? You wouldn't have brought Fortnite into a classroom in a million years. Uh, the the game, the gun violence alone would have gotten you fired. But now the conversation is changing because they're saying we don't have to have the gun violence as part of it. We can look at the whole platform of Fortnite and really think about it in totally different ways and design uh, aspects. And then again, because the intrinsic motivation, kids become heavily involved with it. It really is a is a uh, again, if we can think about how to invite educators into the space, they will become some of the biggest advocates for the product that that anybody's ever seen.
1: Definitely. I can't really disagree with you there. And, you know, I think that hopefully, you know, other publishers will take heed of what some of their competitors are doing. And like you said, they'll see it in the bottom line where there will be more consumer affiliation and affection for you know microsoft or you know minecraft or it's like oh wow like they were letting me do this so obviously i want to buy minecraft 2 or Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is so you know i think that it's a good point
2: well the one that i'll give you another perfect example of a company that's gone the other way is riot when they changed their community guidelines and said sorry uh schools you can't you know even call it a tournament you can't call it a you know you can't have a season blah 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 uh, what has happened, a lot of kids now aren't even playing League of Legends anymore. They just aren't. And, and we said, we're here. We, we want to help you grow League of Legends. Our kids love it. But because of your community guidelines, we're not going to use it anymore. And because we're not going to use it anymore, guess what? Now it's not going to be promoted, used, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I know that there's collegiate coaches who are saying, boy, I'd love to ha- continue to have a League of Legends team, but I don't have the students anymore who could even fill a team. It's it's true and it's really happening. So hey, but what do I know? I'm just a teacher, right?
1: Right. So, <laughs> you know, big corporations, they always know what's best. So, you know, so to bring it all together, you know, how large can the K through 12 esports space grow and how? I
2: think it's gonna grow when we get out of the idea of what it is supposed to be. And when I by, by that I mean again, let's stop thinking about that it has to be esports. Let's think about it more as a gaming and a gaming culture. Again, looking at the intrinsic motivating values of games, who's playing games, 97% of boys and 83% of girls, according to Pew Research, are playing video games at the teenage years. Let's leverage that and let's stop thinking about this platform that I have to be on, this game that I have to play, this computer that I have to buy. We as educators really need to, again, start thinking of things from the how can this move the needle? We have kids who who have already, you know, look at our schools and go, this isn't interesting. I don't want to be here. This isn't a place. The pandemic, again, was a perfect example of kids who who said school's value to me is uh, if given the choice where I don't have to get in a bus and I all I have to do is turn on a computer and show up to class. Guess what? A lot of kids weren't turning on that computer and showing up to class because they didn't feel motivated enough to do it. So uh, we really need to start looking at how games and gaming culture can be brought into schools to 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 increase the invitation to learning. We have to embrace it, and uh, again, it's not going to be defined by anything other than what it is that our students want and need. And if it if it works out as an esports platform, cool. If it doesn't, that's okay too.
1: Definitely. So, you know, thanks so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can find you and connect with you.
2: Sure. So you can check out, uh, you can look up the Academy of Esports podcast. Uh, You can find it on Spotify, Apple, um, wherever you get your podcast from. We also have the Academy of Esports website. So taoesports.com. And you can connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. If you look up James O'Hagan, I'm the guy with the bald head and the beard. On LinkedIn, uh, James O'Hagan or uh, at Jim O'Hagan. That's J I M O H A G A N. That's where you can find me on Twitter.
1: Perfect. So, you know, thanks again to everybody for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. Check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?